You're listening to the So What Podcast. God did not save you so that you would die and go to heaven. He's colonizing earth with the life of heaven now. Yeah, exactly. Right. The resurrection and exaltation of Jesus, the ascension, is the inauguration of the new creation. So our ministry as a church is to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, so it's our job to embody his heavenly reign in the power of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Amen. Welcome to the So What Podcast, where we discuss theological and philosophical issues that ask that obvious question, so what? I'm your host, Kyle Bashirs, and I'm joined by our cast of contributors, Dave Kakish, Matt O'Reilly, and Brad Mills. Well, on this second of a two-part episode, we are happy to be joined in studio by Dr. Travis Buchanan to discuss Christ's ascension. Dr. Buchanan is a close friend to the So What podcast crew. He received his PhD from the University of St. Andrews, where he studied the intersection of theology and literature, specifically in the works of C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien. He currently serves as an assistant professor for theological studies at Colorado Christian University. Well, before we head over to our discussion again, we'd just like to thank you for listening to So What Podcast and for sharing it with your friends. If you enjoy the show, please help our podcast grow by rating and reviewing it in iTunes. You can find out more information about the show and its contributors at SoWhatPodcast.com. Questions about this and any future episodes can be submitted by emailing hello at SoWhatPodcast.com. You can keep up with the latest news by following us on Twitter at SoWhat underscore podcast. Let's head over to our discussion. So when we look at the New Testament, a couple of things emerge with regard to uh, the ascension. Um, Lots of things show up, two things especially. Christ as mediator and Christ as exalted king, right? So in Hebrews 4, um, Jesus is the one who has ascended, passed through the heavens, and that involves his his priestly function. Uh, Since then, uh, 4.14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are yet without sin. So talking about the ongoing incarnation, we have a human being who has lived every human, who's lived human experience, who's walked where we've walked, who's laughed with us, who has cried with us, who has even died, right, and experienced human death um, and come through it on the other side. And having ascended into heaven, we have someone in heaven at the right hand of the Father, right, uh, ascend, uh, mediating for us, sort of pleading his own blood and his life um, and, and praying for us. Um, in that sense, sort of tagging on Lewis and uh, not, not trying to be more spiritual than God. The one in heaven doesn't look down on us as being, you know, as more. he doesn't see himself as more spiritual than we are. Um, in fact... He is our brother in embodied human life. Um, so he doesn't um, sort of look down at his nose at us and think of us as those in sort of lowly human existence. And why can't you just cast that off and ascend to spiritual heights? And 
Instead, it's, it is, he looks upon us with sympathy, saying, I know what it's like to, you know, experience the challenges of embodied life. I know what it's like to experience sorrow and grief. Uh, I know what it's like um, to experience familial rejection, you know, for your mother to think you're crazy. So uh, that's, that's know. really, that's <laughs> answering the question, what's Jesus doing now? Yeah. So he ascended, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's not just hanging out for some 2,000 years yeah. looking at the watch, Kicking wondering back. whether he's going to be sent back to earth right. today or tomorrow or in another 1,000 years. He's, he, he has a current mission that he's cur- currently accomplishing. He ever lives and pleads for us. Mm. So I, a caveat, because I think oftentimes we confuse Christ's mediation, his mediatorial role now, interceding for us with his sympathy in our human weakness. It shouldn't be confused, but they are related. So I think for many people, they picture the ascended Christ seating, making his pleas for us, saying, you know what, Dave really didn't mean. He's trying so hard. I know how hard it is to obey in the flesh, and he's weak. And I think that's how they think of like mm, intercession. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. able to sympathize with mm-hmm. us. Yeah. So he knows how difficult it is to obey in the midst of temptation. So he's trying to plead our case for us. Right. And just say, oh. But th- I wouldn't put it that way, though. He's not trying to excuse it. And, you know, sort of like, oh, I know what it's like. It's really right, tough. Yeah. Take it easy on him. So you know? in mediation, he says he did it full well. He violated the law. Put it on my account. Mm-hmm. I paid yeah, for that, too. Yeah, yeah. He's mm-hmm. pleading his blood. For the us. blood of bulls and goats. And, that, and that's what I want to make sure we, we, and I know that's not happening here, but I hear that often. Mm-hmm. Uh, he yeah. knows how hard it is. Yeah. So he's not making excuses for us. Exactly. He is. He is saying, um, because we um, participate in his humanity, then his perfect. Notice the emphasis in Hebrews was tempted in every way, tested as we are, but without sin. Therefore, we can approach the throne of grace with boldness and receive mercy from him when we are in need, because unlike. Every other priest, he doesn't offer the blood of bulls and goats. He offers mm-hmm. his own blood, mm-hmm. which is able to deal with our uncleanness effectively and permanently. And he, he's the priest, he is the sacrifice, and he is the temple. Right. Yeah. Paul says that explicitly, First Timothy 2, 5 through 6, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, continue on, who gave himself as a ransom for right. all. So he isn't asking the Father to look the other way. Yeah. He's saying, because of me. what I've done, look yeah. on me. Yeah, look and on ex- me. Yeah. So, so I think we said, so I said there were two things. That's the first one. The second one, and we can talk about how they relate, is the exaltation. So he has a, as, as the ascended one, he has a priestly ministry and he has a kingly ministry. And this, you see this, I think, particularly um, in the narrative of Acts, right? Jesus ascends and from his ascended position displays dispatches his apostles and to make disciples and to um, proclaim the kingdom Um, there is another king named Jesus uh, and by the end of the story Paul has made it to the most powerful city on earth and he's getting ready to go and uh, announce the gospel of the ascended Lord to Caesar right and so there's all sorts of things we can talk about there Paul as a as a first century Jew as a second temple Jew how does he think about yeah the ascension yep how is that going to be heard in Caesar's court, mm-hmm. right, as a competing power claim? So um, t- 
tons of things we can go there. Go, go. What, do, what do you guys think, though? So he's sitting at the right hand, and yet he's the one that's going to judge? What's the relationship between... I mean, I know we'll talk about this more uh, in coming weeks. We have a special guest, Timothy Ball-Jones, who's going to talk about uh, his return and the judgment. But I guess as a, a tip of the hat to the future, and Travis, you might want to uh, jump in on this, um, the authority that comes with sitting at the right hand of the Father... Yeah, let's establish that in the Old Testament. I mean, Jesus stumps the Pharisees and scribes of his day in Matthew 22 by asking them about Psalm 110. In Psalm 110, it says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand and I will make you, I will make the nations your footstool. Is that right? Do I butcher that up? Your enemies, maybe. But your yeah. enemies, your footstool. And uh, so he asked, he asked the Pharisees the question, how can David call his son Lord? Yeah. And they're puzzled. And... In a sense, that's a mystery for them, and Jesus is waiting to reveal that he is the one. And when he's separating the sheep and goats, he is the one who's separating the sheep and goats. We talked about Matthew 7. I'm the one who will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. He is the eschatological judge. And you even see, not that we're in Matthew now, but you see that. like The question Israel is asking, who will sit at God's right hand? And the, the right hand is a sign of, of power, a place, of rule, and and one like the Son of Man, you know, in Daniel 7, and there's so many times with that with the Great Commission, uh, a Son of Man can also be translated a, a Son of Adam to one of the first and last Adams succeeding and failing. And so when Jesus is on trial, he says, you will see the Son of Man seated on the right hand in power. So he's applying that text in Daniel 7 to himself. And then when he's mocked by the soldiers, they place a rod in his right hand. And so Jesus is that one that Psalm 2 talks about, the coronation of the Davidic king, where the nations will be his footstool. And so when Christ dies, we see the curtain tear from top to bottom, the separation between God's holy presence and the people of God, which echoes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where there's a separation. So on that curtain of separation between the holy place and the holy holies, there's angels woven in. And that was to always to remind Israel that they could not go into God's presence because of their sin which echoes all the way back to Eden. And Adam's job in the garden was priestly, to expand the kingdom of God by being fruitful and multiplying, uh, being fruitful and multiplying God's image and to fill the whole world. So Jesus promises to be with the church as they extend and go on in Adam's mission. Beal is super helpful in this when he says the way the Hebrew Bible ends is Cyrus, a king who says God has given me authority over the land, who's been commissioned to build God a temple and calling all to be joining in that and a blessing over them. And then that's how Matthew ends his gospel. Here's the king of king who says he has authority over the heavens and the earth. And he commissions his people to go out and build a temple, but not of bricks mm -hmm. and not in a city, but of people, Ephesians 2 and living 3. Living stones. Living stones across the world, filling the world with his presence Dr. as we multiply. Dr. Livingston. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Raps, I mean, so Psalm 2 has those similar themes of the Lord's anointed is given... Um, you know, you're my son, today I've begotten you. Ask of me, I'll make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, um, serve the Lord with fear. And the, the, the thing there is, again, God's anointed human representative, the one he's chosen, um, who um, he gives international authority, right? This this sort of global uh, kingship, and that is manifested with Jesus. It's, it becomes, it is realized in the ascension. So when we say he ascended into heaven, we are affirming 
I believe that Jesus of Nazareth, born of a virgin, crucified and risen, is exalted to the high place of heavenly authority. Not, and, that, and that's not about him being away from us. It's a, that's the place where he exercises his authority on mm-hmm. earth. The one who, quote, at, at the risk of quoting right again, the one who reigns in heaven rules on earth. Mm-hmm. Travis, can I ask you a question? Why wouldn't the ascended Christ, well, why does he ascend? Why wouldn't the resurrected Christ stay with the church, build his church, join them in his efforts? Why does he have to leave? Why does he even say it's better that I leave? Uh, can you speak to that at all? Yeah, others might be able to better than I can, but that is the the puzzlement of the disciples of how could it be better advantageous for us for you to leave. Um, we're obviously not doing a very good job anyway. You know, one of us has betrayed you, the others denied you, and um, and you're here. <laughs> yeah, uh, All right. So, a, part of it has to do with the mystery of the incarnation. So, there's a sense in which. <clears throat> the second person of the Trinity through the incarnation is not omnipresent on earth. He's born in Bethlehem and uh, grows up in Nazareth, and there are limitations to his ministry, local, historical. He can gather disciples around himself, uh, and he can charge them with the ministry and the message and send them out to preach also. But when he ascends to heaven... And then sends the Holy Spirit to fill his disciples, to fill the church. Then the presence of Christ can be present wherever a Christian is mm-hmm, present. Mm-hmm. And the power of the Holy Spirit can be carrying the gospel wherever that Christian goes. And Jesus can be present in his ministry in an intimate, in an interior, as well as exterior sense, uh, wherever Christians go on the globe. And so there's a, um, perhaps that's part of the meaning to you will do greater greater works than these even. And would you say that they saw that maybe at the day of Pentecost? So when you're saying that Holy Spirit comes now, the la- this is Peter preaching, right? He's agramatos. He's, he's, he can't read or write. He's illiterate. He's just a fisherman. Uh, you mentioned greater things you'll do than I have. I'm sure he was thinking I can fish and I can screw up in your presence. Like how in the world am I going to do greater things? Well, the Holy Spirit is how you're going to do greater things. And then here he gets to experience that at the very beginning of Acts. Thousands of people come to Christ through the preaching that is done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Would that have happened if Christ was still hanging around? Yeah, I don't know. I'm, uh, who knows? Uh, but it, right. on the surface, it seems a more successful response than any of Jesus's sermons got. Uh but there's a New Testament scholar at the table, so yeah. let's well, defer to he him. He can step in and correct. Go, go for it. Let me jump in on correct that. Correct the so heresies that have Jesus, been spoken. Jesus says the advocate can't come if I don't go. That's, That's right. It. Yeah. Right. So yep. Yep. he ascends with a view to sending the Spirit, right? And so I think, and so one of the questions that comes up when we talk about the uh, ascension and sort of Jesus having ascended and being locally present in heaven, whatever that means. Uh, but Jesus is physically present in heaven right now. Spatially so, present? Could we say it like that? Yeah, I would yeah. say so. A different sort of space, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but right. space nonetheless, mm-hmm. you know, because matter and space, mm-hmm. you know, you don't get one without the other. Um, but we shouldn't imagine that our experience of space is limited to, right. you know, what we, you know, our three dimensions. Yeah, I, I think the diff. I'm sorry, no, I don't no, want to interrupt okay. you. No, just the differences between a two-dimensional picture and three-dimensional reality 
um, are vast and yeah. an image of what the differences between our creaturely three-dimensional experiences, yeah. not to get too interstellar on anyone. Didn't Lewis um, say that in his sermon on the gift of tongues? Just read he the talks about trilogy. dimensions. Yeah. Yeah. And transposition. So, so yeah, there's nice, it's, it's impossible. We have images, but it's impossible for us to conceive like, yeah, of that's right. what, yeah. what that existence yeah. might consist of, but we'll know it someday in a way yeah. that we don't know. I think the the key thing that so sometimes I'll say Jesus is physically present in heaven and then someone goes but doesn't he live in your heart and I'll say oh my goodness, come on you've missed the point right you know and this how can Jesus if he's physically present in heaven isn't he everywhere and we need to think more trinitarianly right. is that That's Jesus right. is physically present yes in heaven but that doesn't mean he's inaccessible and he mediates his presence to us through the spirit that That's he it. sends mm-hmm. right and yeah. so thinking in trinitarian terms the son sends the Spirit to us to be the presence of the triune God with us, right? Now that's not, you know, melding the persons and, you know, I still want to say one being three persons and emphasize that. But but the key thing is understanding that um, there's this quote from Douglas Farrow that says, um, the ascended Lord is not everywhere, but he is everywhere accessible. And he makes himself accessible by means of the Spirit. And I, I mean, I would want to say that he makes himself ac- accessible by means of the sacraments. Yeah. Um, so the Eucharist, uh, the Lord's Supper, is one of the ways that Jesus communicates his bodily presence to us. Mysteriously, surprisingly, we he, don't really get how it works out, but he does. He communicates his bodily presence when we love someone. I mean, think about in the separation of sheep and goats. Jesus yeah, says, I was right. hungry and you fed, fed yeah, me. I was yeah. naked and you clothed me. Mm-hmm. And so we were Christ to them and we serve Christ by doing yeah. it. I mean, mm-hmm. in some ways it's mysterious. And Paul prays in Ephesians 3 that the Spirit would strengthen our hearts, that we could comprehend this infinite, ungraspable reality, which is the, the breadth of and, and depth of Christ's love, and that he would dwell in us richly, yeah. that it would infuse us. And I think of the Spirit as the continuation of Jesus's ministry. So he receives the Spirit from the Father as a gift to give to the church by virtue of his resurrection from the dead because of his work on the Christ. Based on his mediation? Based on, yeah, I can say that. And and, and he tells them in John, this is chapter 16, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. They can't understand it at present, right? So he says, but when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide Mm -hmm. you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, and he goes on. And so the spirit is speaking the words of Christ to the church now. And so that's his mediatorial presence through the spirit. He is everywhere and accessible by the spirit. Acts opens, Luke wrote Acts as well as the gospel of Luke. And he opens with, in the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day he was taken up to heaven, the ascension, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So what's implied is that Acts is a continuation of what Jesus is doing, only now Jesus is acting from heaven through the Spirit, through the church on earth. And so Jesus' ministry continues, but it continues in a way that it could not have continued had he remained with his disciples locally in Judea. Um, and as to the Trinitarian you know, coherence, the, the three persons, uh, there, a statement Jesus makes in the, in the Upper Room Discourse in John 14 that struck me when I was reading it in, in seminary, probably, you know, trying to think about the Holy Spirit and, and some of these things for a class, but in a, like I'd never read it before. It's 
Jesus's statement, those who love me will keep my word and my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. And, he, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit, you know, in, in these chapters quite a bit. And you just quoted some of it, I think, from John uh, about the words, um, you know, bringing to mind the words that, that I will give you. So there's a sense in which the Holy Spirit in the church and in the Christian is the Father and the Son coming and making their, their home um, in him. And terms like Spirit of Christ and Spirit of God and Holy yeah. Spirit are interchangeable in the so, New Testament. So there's a second temple expectation that when the Messiah comes, he will inaugurate this new exodus. He will uh, rule with them as king. And they didn't understand all that his ministry and his work would preclude. They didn't necessarily see that he was a suffering servant. That was Bill says it may have been in their cognitive peripheral vision. Uh, but there was a lot of it that was concealed in mystery. And that's a word that appears 27 times in the New Testament. So a thing hidden by God, revealed in Christ by the work of the Spirit. Um, but one thing we haven't talked about that I think is huge, Christ's resurrection inaugurates a new era. Right. It, it is the inauguration of the new kingdom. His ministry it was kingdom language. I think 55 times in Matthew, he's talking about the kingdom of God is at hand and the kingdom of heaven and all these things. And it was promised in the new covenant that God would send his spirit to his people. And so here we have the resurrection, the promise of a resurrection. So the particular resurrection of Jesus Christ foreshadows the general resurrection, universal resurrection of all people. His ascension to on high fulfills the promises of Psalm 2, Psalm 110, Daniel 7, like we've been talking about, never mind almost the entire book of Isaiah. And then his giving of the Spirit is the inauguration of the new age. You're starting to sound like a post-millennialist. <laughs> I, I believe I like kingdom <laughs> language, right? I'll quote right for you. God is not... I would agree with all of that. Yeah. <laughs> what does he say? God doesn't, you don't die and go to, God did not save you so that you would die and go to heaven. He's colonizing earth with the life of heaven now. Yeah, Ooh, exactly. Like yeah. Right. So, so the resurrection and exaltation of Jesus, the ascension is the inauguration of the new creation, which is now proceeding through the ministry of the church until, um, the earth is full of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea because it's been filled up with image-bearing creatures who are obeying the commands of Jesus and embodying the character of God, which is what they were designed to do in Genesis 1. Um, and Jesus will bring that to its consummation when he returns. So our ministry as a church is to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, so it's our job to embody his heavenly reign in our daily lives by the power of the spirit in the power of the spirit mm -hmm. amen so what why does it matter that the ascension of christ occurred well it means that in heaven we have a great high priest a human being the god man who has walked with us cried with us laughed with us and even died to experience human death so he does not look down as one who cannot sympathize and with that experience, he pleads on our behalf as our mediator. Additionally, the ascension means that through the Holy Spirit, we, his church, continue on in the works that he performed during his earthly ministry, making his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We'll join us next time as we are joined by Dr. Matthew Emerson to discuss the line, we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. <laughs>